Um, Lord, you are, the real, you are the revealer of things hidden. You are the lighter of our way, the illuminator of our hearts, the, the illuminator of our minds. And so I pray by your glory that you would um, show yourself to us today and show ourselves to us today. Um, that we might draw close to you, even as you draw close to us. Amen. So, here's the thing. Um, the thing is, I'm, I'm probably, I'm, I'm not going to go sort of from front to back through a passage and pull it apart like we, we often do. Um, let, me tell you, let me tell you what we're going to do. Uh, well, no, not yet. <laughs> We'll get there. Because uh, I don't know about you. Um, I don't know where you're at this morning, but sometimes we get to this part in the summer where we realize that sort of most of the summer is over. And, and we've, got, we've got, you know, middle of August, and we're start looking, we start looking forward to the fall. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I'm a teacher, so for me, September is kind of like, and, it, and everything just sort of starts up again. Um, and, and so it's easy for me anyway to look forward to what it is that I have to do um, and what's in front of me and, and get intimidated. Either that or it's tempting to, to look at what I'm doing and, and just sort of go into sort of routine mode, just sort of get it head down, get it done kind of mode. Um, and it's at times like this that I can get so caught up in checklists that I can lose sight of what it is that I'm really trying to do as a teacher, what it is that I'm trying to accomplish. And I've learned that it actually serves me well to take time, to take a step back, and to remind myself of just some of the basic things. And, and so that's what we're going to do today, because I think we do well to do that in our spiritual lives. Um, it's been said by a number of people, to tell you the truth, I, I'm not sure who said it first, but it's been said that there are the simple truths of God and there are the deeper truths of God. And the deeper truths of God are simply a deeper understanding of the simple truths of God. So, so just as a reset, just sort of a, like, a, like a deep breath before, before we all fall to that sin of busyness in September... Um, I'd like us to, to pause and to remind each other of the simple, simple truth of the gospel. In fact, we're not even going to look at the whole gospel in depth at any rate. We're just going to look at one particular foundational truth of the gospel. And I'm not going to keep you in suspense. Here it is that we're going to look at right now today. Um, we're going to look at the fact that God loves you, that God wants to be with you, and he wants to connect with you. So toward that end, let's take a look at the gracious invitation that's given to us in Isaiah chapter 55. Um, if, you, uh, if, you're, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have some Bibles at the back that we can loan you. Um, 
And if you're, if you're new to the Bible and you're wondering where Isaiah is, it's, if you kind of open your Bible sort of honk in the middle, you probably are somewhere around Isaiah. Maybe it's a little bit later, but it's, it's somewhere right close to the, the middle. And um, we're going to we're gonna, I'm going to read chapter 55. We're going to focus on the first few verses, but I'm going to read the whole chapter for us today. <laughs> Excuse me. So, um, out of respect for God's will, please stand if you're able for the reading of the scriptures. Come, all you who are thirsty... Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples and a leader and commander of the people. Surely you will summon nations you know not and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but I will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign, which will not be destroyed. Thus far, the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Um, so, Isaiah, the writer of this passage, um, comes from a noble family. Um, he seems to have fairly easy access to the leadership and the nobility of his time, although they don't always like what it is that he has to say, but, but he seems to have a, an access there. And so he's, doing, he's, send, he's writing his message during a season of, of not only local but but really global unrest at the beginning of his ministry the the assyrians were sort of at the the height of their power but over the course of of his at least 60 years of ministry he would see their power wane 
and the, the Babylonians beginning to make themselves unpleasant, and they would ultimately um, conquer uh, Judah and, and, and take the people off and, and into exile. And the beginning of the book of Isaiah, the prophet is addressing the people of Judah and Jerusalem before they go into exile. And then you have another chunk of the book in the middle that's written to those who are in exile and under the authority of the Babylonians. And toward the end of the book, from, um, from chapter 56 on, the writer is talking to the first of the returning exiles, presumably back in the Holy Land. So the chapter we've read today is actually in the, right at the very end of this second section. Um, Isaiah is writing to, to, to people in exile in Babylon. So it begins, he begins, come all you who are thirsty. And this is, this is evoking the idea of a, a water vendor in the ancient Near East. Um, this certainly wouldn't have been an unusual picture, an unusual image for the original readers of Isaiah. And, and this, at, at least at first, is the image that Isaiah is trying to evoke. But it's not long before it becomes clear that, that God is no typical water vendor. First of all, God offers to quench our thirst at no cost whatsoever. We are simply too invited to come. And what's more, God isn't just offering water, but also other, what at the time would have been more costly, uh, richer drinks. And it doesn't stop there. God invites people to a banquet, encouraging us, even, even urging us to partake in, in what Isaiah says is the richest of fare. And where does, this, where does this invitation come from? If you take a look at the previous chapters, you can, you can get a bit of an idea. Old Testament uh, theologian John Thexton, he notes that this is written to exiles, again, like I said, toward the end of their time in exile. Now, a lot of the, the, the Jews in Babylon had grown quite comfortable in Babylon. Um, I mean, the conquest of Judah was pretty brutal, but having conquered them, the, the Babylonians didn't treat them particularly badly. Um, many of the exiles had bought land and in exile and had built businesses and um, generally kind of made lives for themselves. And, and this is what God wanted them to do. Um, when they first went into exile, many of them had been reticent to settle in because they were kind of hoping that it wasn't going to wasn't going to last very long. Um, however, the prophet Isaiah, and possibly even more through the prophet Jeremiah, they were, they were told to settle in because, you know, they're going to be there for a while. In the, in the book of Isaiah, in chapter um, 29, 7, uh, the people are exhorted to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. And so this is what they had done, and, and many had grown quite comfortable there. But it's into this situation, um, Thexton so eloquently says, that, that this gentle invitation is thrown, he says, like a disturbing pebble into the quiet pool of their complacency. Isaiah asks, does this, what, this comfortable situation in exile that you have does what you have now really, truly satisfy? What you're doing now, where you're at now, is that really what it is that you're made for? 
And, and the parallel for us is, is pretty clear today. For, for those of us who have aligned ourselves with Jesus, for those of us who are his people, servants of his kingdom, the Bible is clear on this, our citizenship is in heaven. We are redeemed people, and as such, our time on this earth is time spent as exiles. Now, at the same time, we mustn't make the mistake that, that we as Christians so often make, realizing, you know, realizing that our citizenship is indeed in, in heaven. Um, we have sometimes been guilty of simply you know, giving up on our earthly lives, just sort of washing our hands of, of our earth, of our country, of our neighborhoods. And, and Christ's call to us is to seek the peace and prosperity of the places to which we have been called. One of the, one of the upshots of our being exiles <coughs> is that we are called to be a blessing to the places where we do life and the people with whom we interact. But at the same time, even as we live and we work in this world, this good world that God created, the Spirit whispers to us, come away, <laughs> whispers, come away, <laughs> come apart. Allow yourself to be nourished by me. There's, a, there's, an, there's an urgency even with which the prophet and, and the Holy Spirit to us today says in, in verse 3, uh, in verse 3, listen, listen, hear me that your soul may live. Let me give you what it is that you really need. Living in the land is good and well, and, and blessing the world is, is very good. But let me give you that which will sustain you, that which will strengthen you. And what is that? Well, the back of verse 3, it says, Give ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. This is the thing that will truly, that will truly satisfy and sustain coming apart with God and allowing ourselves to be loved by him, to rest in the security that comes from knowing and, and resting in that rock-solid, immutable, unshakable uh, love that is ours in God. Now, in this next section, verses, verses 6 and 7, um, Isaiah, or God through Isaiah, um, is, is inviting even the wicked to come. And he seems to be extending um, this, this invitation to even those who, who do not have relationship with God in this passage. Not that followers of God are excluded from this description. But the invitation is there. Come, come, come. You will find mercy. Now, why do you suppose we have this emphasis on confession in this passage as we come to God. Uh, it, it, it's certainly not as though God has um, some sort of fragile ego and needs us to, to grovel and confess in order for us to sort of, so that we'll be handing over to him the, the, the moral high ground and so that he can lord it over us. That's not why at all. 
The answer we often hear in church um, is that we ought to confess because as we confess, God can forgive us and he can release us from our guilt. Now, now that is very true, and it's explicitly laid out for us in, in 1 John 1 and in James 5, Leviticus 15, and, and elsewhere in Scripture we can find that and, and we can know it to be true. Scripture teaches it. But allow me to suggest another answer that is a little closer to what I feel like this passage is getting at in particular. The fact of the matter is that there is an intimacy that God is wanting to share with us. This this covenant, this deep, unshakable love that he has for us. But in order for us to receive it, we need to come to him as we are. And as we are, are sinners. Confession is something we have to do in order to experience God's love. God loves us whether or not we confess. But in order to experience God's love, we need to confess because because of this. Because God's deep love is for you. And it's for me. It's for us. It's for the real us. God doesn't love who it is that we sometimes pretend to be. God loves us. That was something that, that, um, something that was really brought home to me and was sort of a real turning point for me in my own story, in my own... Um, yeah, in my own story, in my addiction to pornography in particular, the lie that I found myself believing <laughs> was that I was so wrong, was that I was so bad, that surely I had to at least clean up a little bit before I could come to God. And, and, and brothers and sisters, that is a lie from the pit. God loved me how I was, no less than he loves me now. And it was only that as I learned, it was only as I learned to come to God as I was, as I learned to come to him as the real me and, and to rest in his love for who I was even at my most broken and to experience his forgiveness there. It was only then that I found the power in his unconditional love to begin to overcome that addiction. So, so brothers and sisters, here's the point. God loves you. Just, just sit with that for a minute. God loves you. He loves you, not, not the you that you might sometimes feel like you have to pretend to be with coworkers or friends or maybe even family. God loves you. He loves you. You. Not the you that you, you might sometimes try to tell yourself that you are. He loves the real you. He loves you. Not the version that you might feel like you need to be in order to come to him. He loves the real you. In your togetherness, and in your brokenness, in your happiness and in your sadness, in your believing and in your doubting. And his invitation to you 
remains as it has always been. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on that which is not bread and your labor on that which does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me here that your soul might live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love. So I don't know. That's, this is just what I feel like I needed to share with you today. In the hope that as we plan for another season, as we plan for another fall, just a couple of weeks away, whether it's another year of doing what we've been doing, or whether it's some of us I know are stepping into something completely new this fall. The hope is that we would do so from a place of strength and confidence that comes with knowing how deeply it is that we are loved. But I was thinking ab about exactly what it is that we're, we're, we're doing today in, in response. Um, so here's, here's what we're going to do in response. Um, I'm going to open things up a little bit. We're going to do a few different things. Uh, there are going to be three different ways of responding today. One is we're going to come forward and we're going to celebrate communion together. Um, if we're going to take time to rest in the love of God, what better way is there than to celebrate Holy Communion, to celebrate the fact that our Lord Jesus sacrificed his own life on the cross to make a way for us to connect with God. Because it was on the night that was, he was betrayed that, that Jesus took bread and he, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the, in the same way after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so what we do when we celebrate communion is we come forward, we take some bread, we take one of the cups, and you can partake at that moment. Partake cognizant of the fact that God loved you, loved you all the way to death and beyond. So you can come and you can partake here. You can take it to your seat and, and reflect there. Um, Another way we're going to respond today, and so, so you, can, you can come in a minute, but another way that we're going to respond today is through reflecting on some psalms. Um, psalms, I mean, maybe it's part of it's just the musician in me, but I love the psalms uh, because they offer, I think, language for us when we don't feel like we have words. I mean, the psalmists, the writers of the psalms were, were real people who experienced and wrote the whole gamut of, of human emotion. And so um, 
Again, what we're trying to do this morning is we're trying to approach God honestly from exactly where we're at. And so um, at the back of the sanctuary, you will find um, psalms printed out that represent different emotions. So I don't know where, where you came from this morning, whether you came just feeling great. And if you are, great. Uh, there, are some, there are some psalms there that would be good for you. And they're labeled that way, and you'll find some pictures underneath them, uh, up above them too, the chicken. You can see there. Uh, or, if you, or if you came and you're, you're feeling worried or afraid, um, there are psalms for that that you can reflect on. Um, psalms for if you're feeling discouraged. Psalms for if you're feeling angry. Um, so you can go to the back. You can take one of those, and you can return to your seat and read that and, and reflect on that and pray it to God in response. Um, Another way that you can respond this morning is, um, as, as normally happens when we have communion, there, there will be our prayer team at the back. Um, so if you would like to receive prayer, you can go back there and, and someone would be happy to pray with you. Um, <laughs> also, if you'd just like to pray by yourself, you can do that either back there or you can pray in your seat. But at the back too, um, as you... As you pray, or as you've prayed in your seat, if you go to the back, there are some candles there. And so if you want to, as you pray, or as you've finished praying, go to the back and light a candle, and you can put it in the rack back there, or just leave it on the table there. Um, we can respond in, in that way, too. So um, what I'm going to do, uh, alternatively, too, of course, you could just stay in your seat and, and reflect there, and that's perfectly all right, too. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to open it up for 10 or 15 minutes or, or, or whatever for you to respond in any of those ways. And there's no right way to do it. You can spend your time on just one of these responses if you want, or you can, or you can do all three. It doesn't matter what order you do them in. Um, we're just going to, the guys are just going to put on some music in the background and we'll let you go for a while. And after a while, after maybe 10 or 15 minutes, I'll officially close the service, but you can keep going too if you want. Um, so, one, two, three, go. Uh, no, let me let me let me, <laughs> let me pray for us, and then we'll and then we'll respond. Jesus.